You're listening to The Cutting Edge, presented by Hilleberg the Tentmaker. This is Petra Hilleberg, President and CEO of Hilleberg the Tentmaker. For over 45 years, we have specialized exclusively in building strong, lightweight tents and in never compromising on quality of materials or construction. From the very beginning, we have been family-owned and family-run. Our tents have become the go-to choice for discerning outdoor adventurers all over the world, and especially for those who travel in challenging terrain and conditions and who demand utter reliability from their equipment. Conceived and developed in northern Sweden, our tents are made in Europe, built to last, and offer the ideal balance of high strength, low weight, ease of use, and remarkable comfort. Hello, this is Dougal McDonald, editor of the American Alpine Journal, the AAJ. One of my favorite stories in the 2019 AAJ, which we've just sent to the printer, is by Jerome Sullivan. Jerome was born in America, but lives most of the year in France. He's a, he's a mountain guide in Chamonix. But in recent years, he's become most famous for a series of high-end, super remote climbs in Patagonia. In October, he did another with Martin Elias from Spain and Francois Ponce from France. Together, they went to Cerro San Lorenzo, hoping to climb the enormous east face. But they found the conditions weren't to their liking, and so they started looking around, and they found a way to climb the south pillar of San Lorenzo. It's a 1,200-meter rock spire that they came to call El Faro, the lighthouse. Jerome is a wonderful writer and a great storyteller, Unfortunately, in this interview, it sounds like he's talking on a sat phone in the middle of uh, the Patagonia ice cap. He was actually recording in a public library in Fresno on his way to Yosemite Valley. And whether it was an internet connection or a computer issue, there's some distracting background noise. But bear with us. It's a great story, and I know you'll enjoy it. Uh, yeah. We're just going to wing it here and, and hope that the audio quality is good. So okay, for, try that. For anyone listening, uh, we both apologize ahead of time <laughs> if the audio is not good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, I'm super excited that Jerome was able to make it to talk with us today. So my pleasure, uh, Jerome. You've made kind of a trifecta of really interesting and impressive ascents down in Patagonia. Um, in 2012, you climbed Cerro Murallon, uh, mm-hmm. which was looked like a really impressive big wall that required like 20 kilometers of uh, challenging glacial uh, approach that you guys couldn't ski, so it seemed like quite the adventure. And yeah. 2014 and 2015, over two years, you you put up a route on Cerro Riso Patron down in the southern Patagonian ice fields in Chile, uh, another large adventure. And this this past year, you finally climbed Cerro San Lorenzo. Now, Rolo Garibaldi mentioned that any of these would be a career-making climb. So um, why don't you just uh, tell us a little bit about why do you keep making these big, wild adventures 
to all of the places other than El Shal 10. <laughs> yeah, Rolo is very kind to say that. Um, I, I actually went to El Shal 10 in my, in my first season in Patagonia. And when you get to the, to the, that, it was a great season and, and we got to do, um, Fitzroy and, and almost territory. We got stuck below the mushroom. But when you, when you go there, you just, uh, see all these other summits on the ice caps and they all look more amazing, you know, one than the other. And actually from the summit of, or Cerotore or Fitzroy, you can see Cerro Murayon very clearly. It's just this huge granite cube that kind of detaches itself from the, from the Yellow Continental. And you're talking about the southern ice cap, is that right? That's correct. Yeah, the southern ice cap, which is, I mean, huge, endless from north to south. You can, you know, on the east side, you get El Chaltan, you get San Lorenzo up north, you get Murayon down south, and then you have everything that's on the ice cap, and then you have all the Chilean fjords, um, which are mostly still uh, waiting for people to come and discover all those crazy mountains. I mean, that kind of, you know, got my imagination going, and I was thinking, there's so much stuff out there. Why are we just climbing on right. this little place here? And yeah, uh, I got back down, and I got to meet a lot of the locals there in Chagden, and they were really excited about all these possibilities also. Um, uh-huh. And there's just no limit to what you can do in these places. So it's just all about the motivation because there's definitely... Uh, a lot of suffering involved since the, the weather is notoriously terrible. For example, on, on Cerro Murayon, the, the rock is probably, I mean, some of the best rock you can ever dream of. So the only thing that's going to stop some someone from going there is, is just the motivation that he can have and, you know, the suffering that he's ready to endure. <laughs> uh, yeah. When, when we went there to Cerro Murayon, it was actually kind of, the first big climb we'd ever done as a team with, with my buddies who, who we went there with. And we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into, but I mean, just seeing that, that huge mountain over there just like filled us with so much energy and we're pretty, pretty unstoppable. And when I think about it now, I would say probably pretty stupid, like looking back at, at the way we kind of tried to climb it. Um, we actually didn't have a, a, a sat phone, working sat phone anymore, so probably for half of the trip, we would just get up in the morning, old school, and look at the stars and say, okay, let's go, and go up and go back down and up and back down. And that, that's probably what made, made things work, I would say, that we were actually able to climb the route. Some, some of our listeners, especially those that have been down to El Chal 10, will certainly be familiar with kind of the logistics for how you get there. You know, you probably fly into El Calafate and then you rent a shuttle bus. So when we're talking about uh, Cerro San Lorenzo, how do you get there? So it's, it's, um, Cerro San Lorenzo is actually in a national park. Well, the actual is not in the national park, but the act to get there is in the national park. Um, Parque Perito Moreno, it's called. So you, you actually take the same road that you would go to El and you don't you don't go east. You keep going north for another 
400 or so kilometers. And then at one point you get to this, this little hotel that's alone on the side of the road, which is um, kind of a special place. You know, when we got there, we, we thought that, uh, for those who are familiar with the movie From Dust Till Dawn from Quentin Tarantino, that it could have been filmed there. It's just very alone. There's nothing at all besides wow. coyotes. And from there, there's a dirt road that goes goes out to to the park. So you uh-huh. take this this um, this dirt road, and eventually you get to the end of the road. And from there, uh, you walk to a very special place, which is called Puesto San Lorenzo. And this is um, a cabin which has a lot of history uh, because a lot of um, the biggest and most famous European climbers of the day and explorers, Bonatti and Ferrari, and a lot of these guys came through here. Probably uh-huh. so many that I, I don't even know of. And that's that's kind of the, the base camp. Um, from there, you cross the river, and you cross another lake, and you're at the foot of the east face of San Lorenzo. Uh, it's really, it's really something to be there. It's, yeah. you know, I, I think we've, we've, we've all climbers, you know, made plans at home and thinking, oh yeah, sure, this face is really big and, and you feel fine when you're at home. But when you're at the foot of the face of San Lorenzo, it's very impressive. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's huge. It's like, oh, I don't, I mean, I'm going to say something stupid, but it's like five or six or more kilometers long. And at its highest point, it's it's 1.8 kilometer high, and it's got all these huge seracs at the top, which uh-huh. you know it's notoriously famous for um, making most of the climbs. These are like the dream climbs you can you can have. Well, it makes them impossible for a good part of them. <laughs> yeah, didn't uh, didn't Doug Tompkins call it like the Everest of South America or something. Mm, that's right. That's what he called it. And I mean, I suppose you can put, you know, the Everest of lots of things, but it's it's a very impressive mountain, and it's 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 you feel like very small, feel dwarfed yeah. when you're at the foot, and there's nonstop debris falling off of it, and every the notion of distances is, 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 is very strange. I mean, when you're at the Puesto San Lorenzo, you look at the mountain and you think, okay, I'll be there, you know, in, you know, a few hours. But actually, no, it takes quite a bit of time to get there. Um, it's maybe, I would say, less far than some of the other mountains I find in Patagonia. For example, Cerro Murayan, which we talked before, which, mm-hmm. you know, takes very long time to get there, or Cerro Rizo Patron, which is, which is, as they say, in la luma del orto over there, which means in the asphalt of the world, literally. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, you have to take a bow and walk and walk. San Lorenzo is more easy of access, but, yeah, um, I think Rolo talks about this actually on his, on his page, Pedro Klein. It's, if, if, if anything happened there, the commi- the commitment's 100%. So, it's, it's a really, really pretty crazy place. You were there back in 2017 also, weren't you? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the idea of climbing San Lorenzo, um, I don't know, it was, I guess it was kind of like a logical suite in, in, in looking for big, big mountains to climb in Patagonia. And, um, yeah, it, we, we, with a few friends, we decided, um, let's just go and see what we can do. 
And we went there, and it just was terrible weather the whole time. We had planned a route, which was on the central summit, which is probably the summit with the, the, the highest face. And it's funny because this year when we came back, we said, okay, well, we're just going to try that route again. And, and right. when we got to the foot of the route, we looked at it with the binoculars and we said, well, how did, how did we even think about climbing this route? There's, there's these seracs, which are kind of not so nice at the top. And right. I think what happened the year before is that we, we were just so excited about it that we just kind of managed to, you know, block that fact off in our head and just think, okay, well, you know, it'll probably work out. We'll be quick. Um, so in 2017, yeah, it is kind of scary. What the motivate, what motivation can do to your mind and kind of twist it and change ways. Um, when we, we did go in 2017, we did try and, and climb it, but there was just too much snow. So it's, it's a very tricky face. This face of San Lorenzo, it's, as it says, it's east facing, so it gets the morning sun and it heats up pretty quick. Um, gotcha. the winters are really cold. So in winter, the ice does not form, and it just makes things, I mean, you could still climb it, but it makes things pretty slow, and obviously, with the, the, the dangers around, um, you want to climb it fast. So finding the right period has been really, really key in, in our kind of um, thinking of how to climb the mountain. So our strategy was to say, well, we can just go there really early, so maybe September uh, or beginning of October and things will have warmed up a little bit, but it won't be too hot yet. The uh, the rock is also terrible. I mean, it's this kind of um, decomposing. It's got the strangest colors. Sometimes it's blue, sometimes it's red, sometimes it's green. And we found some sections of actually quite nice rock. What happens is when the rock is good, it's very compact. Like, uh, okay. barely climb it. There's almost no cracks. Gotcha. Um... It's mostly bad, though, I would say. Um, <laughs> this a story, a story, uh, an interesting story uh, from some Argentinian climbers, um, stronger Argentinian climbers who wanted to climb uh, the South Pillar, uh, but who wanted to climb the North Face and who probably did something like 300 meters. And as they were climbing up, they were setting up the, the belay stations to wrap down quickly if anything happens. Uh, and it started to get too warm, rocks started to fall, and as they came down, half of the belay stations were destroyed by the, the, the rock falls. Oh. Yeah. So we had, we had that story in our heads, um, when we were yeah. going there. So it, it was, it was, um, it was definitely a big factor in what to climb, what we can or couldn't climb. Uh, of course, before you even got on the wall, you guys had some sort of challenges, didn't you? I, I saw that you wrote in the American Alpine Journal, uh, and I quote, crossing Rio Lecteo proved vivifying in the early hours. <laughs> right. So you want to go into what, what that's all about? And also sure, yeah. the Laguna de los Tempos. Yeah, the Laguna de los Temponas is just an interesting moment. Um, so, well, yeah, you, you, you literally get out of the Puesto San Lorenzo, the little cabin, and uh, you have to cross this river. So that's, that's an interesting moment. It, it's not too bad though. And 
from there you get to um, this big lake that kind of uh, guards the, the the foot of the face, and it's bordered by uh, moraines which are very very unstable, um, kind of reminiscent of the the ones that go to Niponino for people who have been to Encelten. Um, they're falling down all the time. These house sizes blocks are just kind of you know in levitation. You feel like you would just take a grain of sand off of them and they would just come tumbling down. And you have this 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 frozen lake in the middle, which is you know sometimes frozen, sometimes not frozen. So when we got there, we decided, okay, well we would save a lot of time if we just crossed the lake directly. Um, yeah. So we kind of went hopping. The, the lake was unthawing, so we would go hopping from uh, a piece of ice to a piece of ice. They were kind of stuck together by the wind, and this this worked maybe until halfway through the lake when one of my buddies, Martin. Um, fell through the lake, which is kind of scary. I mean, we were walking with the packs unclipped at the waist just in case yeah. we wouldn't get dragged down to the bottom. Uh, right. So then after that, we came back around and went all the way up to the moraine and came back down on the other side, which worked. Mm-hmm. It was kind of sketchy. And then every time, because we did a few, you know, went to the foot and came back a few times, uh, every time we would be faced with that choice, what to do, go up, or just cross the, the the lake, and we crossed the lake another bunch of times. We were pretty stupid about it. It became a game, just, just like hopping from iceberg to iceberg. Why don't you uh, just go ahead and like tell me sort of the sequence of events from you know the time you got across the Laguna until you know you guys were standing on the summit. How how the climb go? It was, it was pretty complicated. We were three people. Uh, I was with my very good friends, Martin and Pompon, one French and one Spanish. Um, and Martin had come on the previous expedition. And, and Francois, which we call Pompon, was, was new to the trip. Um, we hadn't planned to climb El Faro, or the mm-hmm. South Pillar, as it was called. We really were focused on climbing the East Face uh, proper. Right. So when we got there, we got a, a first... Um, you know, weather report, which gave us two good days of weather. So we said, all right, this is this is time to go. We got to the foot of the face, and we slept the first night, which was, you know, not a very good night. I mean, when you're sleeping at the foot of these face, you hear this ice debris falling out, you know, from the Sarat, and, and you don't get very good sleep. But we got up in the morning, and it, it was, the weather was good. So we set up, you know, really early, and we had got to the face, the, uh, the foot of the south pillar, which mm. is on the left side of the south, south end of the face. And the line we had hoped to climb, which is really steep and technical, um, was not in condition. The ice had already mm. thawed and thawed many times. It was this whitish, translucent ice. And we, we tried to start climbing, but it was very evident immediately that it wouldn't work. So we came back down, back down to the tent, and we had a moment of total despair, thinking, all right, well, we just crossed the world again. This is our project that's really motivating for us, and there's nothing we can climb. And we spent hours looking at the whole face from left to right, which is, you know, various kilometers long, and and eliminating every line. No, there's a Sorak here. That doesn't work. Um, This line, no, it's it's too compact. It doesn't work. this line over here, well, that's the south, the south pillar, but 
those Argentinian climbers told us it was horrible, so that doesn't work. And we were pretty despaired. And then we said, all right, let's just go walk around and see what we found. find. And so we we just walked all the way to the end of the San Lorenzo space, south side. And we got there and we found this, you know, pretty evident line that, that went all the way to the summit with... Um, mm with kind of a big doubt at the end because there was this multicolored, black, horrible rock. Uh, so from there, we went back to base camp. A storm came in. Uh, you know, it snowed, as usual, the winds. We waited, we waited, got our hopes pretty low, but um, there was a two-and-a-half uh, weather window that can't, that was announced. So... After, you know, a week of waiting in the, in the cabin, we went back out again. And um, uh-huh. it had snowed like maybe 30, 40 centimeters, so it wasn't looking very good. So we just kept going, kept going, um, and got to the, the foot of the south face of, of the peak at Faro and roped up. And from there, just, you know, <laughs> didn't stop. Uh, it took us two days. So we busied once on the face. Well, wow. the first day was pretty pretty straightforward. Uh, I think we climbed maybe at least like six or seven hundred meters unroped on a, a big snow ramp that would, you know, kind of cut across the base of the face. Mm. And then the proper climber, climbing started. Um, uh, what, what was the snow I, ramp like? Were you guys? Like, was it super deep snow? Was it low angle? I mean, it how was, was the it climbing was, on that? It, it was fairly, it was fairly easy. That part was fairly easy. I mean, uh-huh. we were unroped, so it was, it was kind of, you know, powder snow with the classic hard ice underneath, which you probably uh-huh. get in any south facing face of Patagonia. Um, okay. and that went pretty fast. So, I mean, that was pretty, pretty easy. Uh, when we got to the end of the ramp, we roped up. Um, Francois took the lead, Bonbon, and he probably climbed, I don't know, four or five pitches of kind of low angle. But the conditions were really bad. It, it just mm-hmm. had, had never heated up since it's south facing. So as a kind of, you have to think south, south facing is north facing in northern hemisphere. So that never gets right, done. Right. So that, there was never a bond fall cycle and it was just black ice and this terrible rock with no um, possible protection, but it wasn't very difficult. So we kind of just managed to do, you know, a couple of pitches and it was a little bit of time consuming. And we got to the foot of what was to be the crux. And I went first and it was this um, kind of very steep slab, which I managed to fix maybe 30 meters. And then we came down and busied at the foot of that. Uh, the next morning, we woke up to spectacular blue skies. So we were kind of high up. We could see Cerro Murayon. All the way at the end, we could see San Valentin, which is the highest peak of the ice cap. Uh, mm-hmm. We could see all the way back to the shores. It was spectacular. And we could see the, you know, the, the, the step kind of spreading out with all the big blue lakes. It's, it was fantastic views. Wow. Um, Martin, Martin got up, led the, 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 Probably, maybe I would say the most horrible pitch he's going to lead in his life. Uh, wow. He took he took like uh, three hours to to lead the 
30 meter pitch. And I was at the bottom thinking it can't be that bad, but then we drew Mark up and literally you could not touch any piece of rock without a huge block falling off. It was, it was pretty crazy. Um, so how did, how did he get up that? Cause I mean, I've, in my, in my life, I've had the good fortune of, uh, coming across a couple of chassis pitches here and there. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, I've found that the only way you can hope to do it is like, you gotta find a groove or a, uh, like a, some way you can stem where you, you're actually pushing the holds against the wall. But when yeah. the wall bulges, you know, if it's like a pillar or if it's just a flat wall and you can't push the holds in, but you have to pull down. I mean, I honestly don't even know how that stuff is possible. So, you know, what was he, what kind of I, terrain was yeah. he dealing with? It's, it's so, Martin is from the Pyrenees, uh, and in the Pyrenees they have, they have a lot of stuff. So he, he grew up doing this stuff. He's, he's a specialist. Um, mm. he did some kind of mix with aid, kind of aiding, uh, you know, hooking on the tools when he could. Uh, it was, mm. it was, it was terrible. I, he, this nonstop stream of curses and rocks were showering down onto us. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how he did it. I, I, I thought many times that we were going to turn around at that point. Um, mm-hmm. me and, me and, you know, my buddy, Pompon, were at the foot. We were just bring water, just giving him out rope. One of the rocks actually smashed the, the, the jet boil to pieces mm-hmm. and it went, it went rolling down the cliff. So that was, that was over for water. Uh, oh, man. yeah, that kind of sucked. Um, and, yeah, he, you know, he's just spreading your weight in a very, very um, impossible manner. <laughs> I, 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 I really don't know how to, how to explain it, but if he made it through, I, I don't think I would have made it through. It was, it was very, very intense. From there, it was uh, another maybe 600 meters of um, less difficult terrain, still pretty, pretty bad, but lower angle so it worked out pretty well mm-hmm. uh, I, I i let quite a, a bit of that part and i got to this col which is between the the summit of el faro and this other pillar called torresia which is a beautiful black pillar that just comes out of the array and when i got there and i looked at the summit i truly thought okay well that's 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 it for us i mean we're not going any further than that mm-hmm. and i was kind of sad but we've done the you know a ridge <laughs> and that was kind of right. cool and because looking up it was just this this maybe you know 100 meter tower of horrible rock to get to the summit and uh-huh. Martin and Pompon got to the to the ridge and they they didn't even think this is terrible we're stopping here they just said alright let's go who goes first who goes next blah 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 <laughs> like, alright Cool, new energy, let's go. And, and, and I roped up again and it was, it wasn't, it was pretty bad, but you know, like you said, you know, the bulges and you kind of spread your weight on different points and just kind of little by little go up and throw some rocks down and, 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 and push some rocks back in. <laughs> um, but it's and, really, I, it can be quite harrowing even if you have good protection, but I'm guessing you guys didn't. Like, can you, were you protecting these pitches? Could you get anything? No, I mean, it was, it was, Paul was really out of the question. It was, it would have been really bad, really bad. And, and obviously, I mean, 
how do you stay motivated to climb multiple pitches where the fall would be terribly consequential and almost unthinkable? It, 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 it was really like a, a you know emulation between all three of us that was that was going on because you know as I said I, I was I was pretty ready to turn around, but when my partners got there and they were so excited and the summit's just right there, I was like, nah, okay, let's keep going and see until where we go. Yeah. Uh, and and the higher we got, the easier it got, more features, and then eventually we got to a chimney. You know, Ryan chimney, like, like, you know, the Patagonian ice chimneys. And then, and then, you know, it was over. So that was cool. We got to the summit, which was a really magical moment because the clouds had started to come in. Uh, mm-hmm. and when we got to the summit, we were in the clouds, but they, they kind of lowered just for a few minutes. So we, we were, you know, floating on this island of, of, of rock above all these clouds and the summit of Lorenzo and it was the the setting sun so every everything was a kind of dark bluish hue with the wow. the, the white uh uh yellow continental the ice cap. It was it was a really crazy moment. Um and then we, we the end we wrapped we wrapped down and miraculously found the jet boil which was waiting for us at the foot of the face. That was that was pretty crazy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That was, that was really good because we're, we were going to go for, you know, two and a half days without any more water and food. So that was a good moment. Happy moment. <laughs> how convenient. <laughs> yeah, how convenient. No kidding. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a, we called the route La Milagrosa, which uh, in Spanish means the, the miraculous. And I think kind of many things added up to that name. First of all, Martin had this little photo of a, a, a Spanish virgin, La Virgen Luma de, de Dios or something that, that his mother had gave it to him in like benediction uh-huh. before he left. So we're kind of uh-huh. laughing with that. And then and then just the fact that, you know, everything was against against us kind of. We didn't even, we were kind of despaired of climbing anything. And, you know, little by little something showed up and, and, then, and then the rock was terrible and, you know, I'd pretty much given up and well, that still kept going, kept going, and you know we made it to the summit. But it was pretty, pretty miraculous, I thought. So yeah, name came up. Well, it'll be pretty miraculous if this interview makes it out into the real world too, <laughs> with all the technical difficulties we've had. But um, yeah, yeah, it sounds like a really good climb. So it, it, the climb is the climb is terrible. I mean. Just make that clear, so <laughs> right. nobody goes to do that thing again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but it was it was a great experience. Yeah. So after climbing such a terrible climb, uh, <laughs> do you? I mean, do you find yourself like, like, are you thinking, oh man, I'm I can't wait to be in Yosemite where I know the rock's gonna be good, and I'm just gonna <laughs> focus on this for the next few years, or is it pretty? Is it kind of a short time before you start getting excited about a big adventure again? Oh uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, it's it's actually I, I think you know a lot of people feel that, but climbing in in places where really just you know the, the movement of climbing and rock climbing is just what what you're looking for, right? If you're going to Yosemite or something. Well, I've yeah. been on a se- seven month climbing trip right now in the states. And it's been great, you know. We've been all over the West, climbing everywhere, and it's been awesome. But but I I always kind of feel that you know thing calling me like 
of, of adventure, of not knowing where you're going and, and, and just, just the doubt and, and also I, I, you know, I, I think that the partners you go with, um, it's, it's just this, this mix that's created, which is, it, it gets all your senses and, and, and everything and you going and you look around and everything's new and everything's thrilling and, I I personally don't get that that same thing when I'm going climbing in Yosemite, or I get something mm-hmm. different, obviously. Yeah. But but yeah. it's not the same thing. So to answer your question, I think we're we're going to be going back there in in March actually to San Lorenzo, and yeah. try yeah try to climb the, this this amazing line that that we wanted to climb um, originally that didn't work out that was conditions weren't good, but. It's it's probably the type of line that if you don't climb it, it haunts you your whole life. It's, it's so beautiful. Jerome's AHA story about this climb is available online. You can find a link to it at the Cutting Edge website. Thanks to Jerome and Chris for putting up with the technical difficulties and, and making this episode happen. And thanks to Hilleberg the Tent Maker for supporting this podcast. You can find out about all of Hilleberg's bomb-proof tents at hilleberg.com. Until next time, this is Dougal McDonald, editor of the AHA, wishing you happy climbs. <laughs>